0: Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. All right, welcome to the podcast. Today I am talking to Emily Freeman and Nathan Harvey. Uh, We're going to be talking about some Hug Ops, we're going to be talking about their book. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, folks. Uh, Emily, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and what you do?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Emily Freeman. I'm the author of DevOps for Dummies, and now, excitingly, 97 Things uh, Every Cloud Engineer Should Know, which I co-authored with Nathan, uh, and I work at Microsoft in developer advocacy.
0: Awesome. And Nathan, for folks who aren't aware of who you are and what you do.
2: Hello, Bandy. It's good to see you uh, or hear you at least. Uh, I'm Nathan Harvey. I'm a developer advocate uh, with Google Cloud. And I had the distinct pleasure and honor of working together with Emily to come up with this 97 Things Every Cloud Engineer Should Know book. And luckily for both of us, we got to work with, I don't know, 80 other people to come up with the book itself, which was pretty awesome. So I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: Excellent. So, so start us off. Like, why, why is it ninety seven things? Like, is that because it's like a is that a prime number? Like, what what's going on there?
1: I think that was O'Reilly's way of being sort of um, catchy. Like, because you do you if it was a hundred things, you wouldn't really think of it. Um, but because it's ninety seven things, it's like, what is that? Kind of piques your interest. Do you know the full story, Nathan? I don't.
2: I definitely know the full story. Um, And so, you know, it's appropriate as we're talking about pager duty and incident response, like everyone wants 100% uptime from (laughs) 97. That's pretty good. That's all your customers actually need is 97. So why not 97 things? Of we're course, all after I,
0: that one nine yes. yes
2: of course i've i've completely made up that story and and the reasoning why uh but it seems like it fits pretty well
1: <laughs> could you imagine an sla that was like we're up 97 percent of
0: the time <laughs> close enough yeah. nope nobody is looking at those other three percent
2: of the time no one no one cares no we just you know we just go with it, it might actually be enough you know uh yep. depends on your business i guess <laughs>
0: Yeah. So with with all this stuff that's in the book, like there's a lot of things in there. And like, I haven't read all of it. But there's bits and pieces, but they're not, it's not technical stuff. It's not scripts to copy. There's like a bunch of really cool stuff in there about.
1: Yeah, I wanted to make sure that we covered the breadth of cloud engineering. Uh, And because each sort of, I'll call it article, uh, is relatively short, typically under 600 words, it's really difficult to sort of deep dive into actually technical solutions, you know. (laughs) I was treating it as sort of a foundational place so that people can read through that and kind of know what they need to learn next, you know, like a very friendly beginner's guide. uh, Because sometimes the hardest part of engineering is just knowing what to Google. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like there's some, like for for us old farts, like there's some stuff in there that like 10 years ago, the only people that were doing some of those things were some of the biggest players. So like Mm. thinking about scalability, thinking about the difference between horizontal and vertical scaling and some of that, like really wonky, dirty stuff. Uh, is right in there in the first couple chapters, which is which is super interesting.
2: Yeah, I also kind of look at it almost like a technical conference, right? The beauty of a technical conference is you get to meet people. As it turns out, the cloud and cloud engineering is all about the people also. And so with an, a book like this, this format, where we can bring in more than 80 different voices, not only can you like pick up on, oh, here's a security thing, or here's a cloud finance thing that I want to get dig deeper into, but now you also have a human who you could potentially reach out to, and I think I speak for all of the contributors of the book, reach out to us. We want to hear from you as well and really use this book as a way to start a conversation.
0: I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think Michelle Brenner is my new best friend because one of the things she says is that no one understands I am. And I'm totally down with that. No one knows what's going on there. One hundred percent. 100%. <laughs> So, as you're picking all these articles, like what stood out for you? Like, there's a lot of different perspectives. Some of them aren't necessarily contradictory, but they they kind of you know weave in and out of each other. How did you how did you pick all this stuff?
2: Yeah, I think you know, as Emily mentioned, we really wanted to go for breadth of what are all of the various topics. And so, if you look at the book itself, like you see migration, security and compliance, observability and security, uh, reliability cloud economics, automation, like we really wanted to cover the breadth of cloud because it is so wide and so deep, right? So I think that was kind of the first thing that drove, how do we find 97 articles?
1: I totally agree. I also, I'm big on points of view. So I think one of the best things a speaker or a writer can bring to any kind of conversation isn't necessarily about their experience or, you know, area of expertise, but simply their sort of viewpoint. Uh, and it really adds this unique diversity to the book in that we have 97, well, I guess there weren't there weren't 97 contributors, but <laughs> we have so many different contributors who come from different perspectives and it, it really creates this sort sort of really beautiful I don't know a story about cloud engineering it's not flat
2: right and it's it's um I counted this morning, Emily. It's 86. We have 86 authors. That's my
1: lucky number, by the way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So 86 Mm -hmm. authors. And not only do they each have their own perspective, but uh, I think we kind of hinted at this already. Each one is at a different point in their career and on their journey with cloud engineering. We have an article from Rachel Sweeney about how to get into cloud engineering. Like, what was her journey like getting into the field all the way through, you know, to folks like John Moore, who was the chief software architect at Comcast, who's been doing this for a little bit of time and has, you know, seen a lot of different things on many different sides and and from many different perspectives of cloud engineering.
0: Yeah, I was struck by that too. Like there, it's not just operations, traditional operations folks Mm -hmm. in there. There's a couple of like consultants and there's some application developers and a lot of different uh, perspectives, which was, was super interesting from, from that point of view, too.
1: That's sort of the interesting thing, I think, of where we're at right now with cloud and DevOps and just there's this melding, sometimes I think a little too much, between operations and, and uh, application development, right? Where developers are expected to know some operational basics uh, and operations folks are expected to communicate and and share information with developers and kind of educate them in some of these areas.
0: Yeah. Was there anything else that, that you missed? Did you have somebody or something that you wanted to cover that you didn't find someone to, to write about or anything like that?
1: I think there's always more to say. I mean, again, it's such a quickly evolving facet of the industry and it covers so many areas of the industry, right? You know, we have this sort of new concept of a cloud engineer. And I just I feel in some degrees that's all of us. Like <laughs> it shouldn't be a separate designation. Uh, it's just sort of the environment we're in. I'm forgetting who asked it. I'll find it and credit them maybe in the notes. But, or no, I think it was Lori. She asked, like, if you were telling new people what to get into in tech, what to specialize in, um, what would it be? And some of the folks said, well, cloud engineering. And I actually sort of disagree because it's sort of, The environment we're in right now, it's not for me a specialty. I would choose something a little bit more deep and then apply it to that environment of cloud engineering. But, you know, just like cloud is, you were saying 10 years ago before the show, like these were the big players that were doing a lot of this stuff. Now it's everyone. So what's going to happen in 10 years? We just, we don't know.
2: Yeah. I also think, you know, as, as you think about cloud engineering, one of the things that we don't have covered, although we do talk about software development, we don't necessarily have any articles on Frameworks, you know, think mm. like Rails or Java's Spring well, sure. framework. Right? There isn't a whole lot well, of seventeen
1: JavaScript
2: frameworks. <laughs> yes. Or oh, the seventeen? Oh, nope, nope. It's eighteen now. Uh, JavaScript yes, frameworks. Yes. 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 Uh, well blown, well, well <laughs> blown, <maybe. laughs> <laughs> so, But you know, I think that thinking of, and and having some perspective from that angle, I think, really matters as well. Because you know, with a lot of building out applications, frankly, it's it's changed how we build applications as you move them to the cloud and really thinking about them and leveraging and, and how some of those frameworks make that easier, I think is a, a, a really important thing to look at as well.
1: Yeah. And scalability, I think 2020 through whatever this is, you know, March, take 17, or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, <laughs> we've seen incredible scaling issues just because suddenly, you know, I can speak for teams like Microsoft's uh, video tool. We I think we've 8x like the use of it I mean that is we are seeing constraints and um, you know uh, use of these tools in ways we haven't ever seen before and so people are having to start to think a little bit more about what makes something reliable and scalable
0: yeah absolutely like I, I definitely appreciated the extra half day off When everybody came back from Christmas vacation, where Slack just was like, oh, you mean everybody and their brother wants to download 10 days of leftover memes and whatever other messages? There's no precedent for that. You have
1: no No. idea what's going to happen. It fell over hard.
0: hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice, nice, you know, smooth, like slow integration back into work that day
1: yeah that was- it was great though that week was a little chaotic if i'm gonna be honest because it was monday slack went down um tuesday we had the georgia runoffs and uh wednesday we had what would we call that a hot mess hot mess okay
2: <laughs> also spelled insurrection yes, yeah. like-
1: <laughs> insurrection sedition <laughs> what, what are the words we're using
0: Right? Like, I, I've been telling people, I started measuring doom scrolling by, like, feet, right? Like, oh, yeah. like in Harry Potter, where the kids have to write so many inches apart like, <laughs> I I doom scroll by the foot. Like, that <laughs> is just, that is just life right now. Absolutely. Reminds me yeah. of that
1: gum. Do you remember that gum? That oh, we were, like? yeah. Yeah.
2: Fruit by the foot. Yeah. By the by foot.
1: foot. There we oh go. God, by the foot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the 80s and 90s are getting a little fuzzy now. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, right?
2: It feels like distant, distant
0: history at this point. Mm -hmm.
2: But I do think also, like, as you look back on 2020, what a year it was. And one of the challenges I think that we had was actually finding 80 different voices to come and contribute to this book. I mean, pulling together a book, and I, I came in sort of in the second half of the project. So maybe, Emily, you can share a little bit at the beginning. But trying to pull together a book in the year 2020 just felt uh, pretty like a bold move, Cotton. Uh, yeah, yes. so Emily. How <laughs> um, yeah, that
1: maybe. works out for you? Yeah. Yeah. What Nathan's not saying is he dragged this project across the finish line. Like I, <laughs> I collapsed somewhere in the fourth oh. inning, and he just grabbed me <laughs> by the collar and pulled me across. No, it, it was it was incredibly difficult, and you know we embarked on this. I guess. At least it was pre like probably January. And so, you know, my little naive, hopeful self is like, Yeah, it was gonna be great, blah, blah, blah. And then COVID hit and it was like, We're all dealing with I mean just dark places, to be honest. <laughs> like, you know, and we've we've sort of normalized in some strange way. But you know, March it was like, oh, it'll just be like four weeks, right? Yeah, and I then know. April it was like, I need more wine. And then, <laughs> you know, I just kept going and people were exhausted. And so, you know, the editors, bless them, were like, well, don't people have more time? And I'm like, yeah, but we're kind of an emotional mess, so it's not like it's being productive. <laughs> like, right? and
0: the, yeah, six hundred words feels like jumping off a cliff at that point. Exactly. exactly. Do one more thing.
1: Yeah, so so th- the eighty-six folks who who contributed are absolute heroes. Nathan yeah. is a hero. Like getting through this, I mean, it was an amazing feat.
0: So this is super different from your first book, which you wrote. On your own, right? You're solo author on on DevOps for Dummies, and like we yeah. give that to people who ask. Like that's a recommendation we we give to customers. Is like we don't know where to start, and you're like, we'll just start here. It's in plain English, so like go for it, right? Thank
1: you so much. That's such a wonderful thing.
0: So so when you're when you're pushing these two different projects, like you have like a different kind of narrative, a different kind of thing you want to say. Then there's 86 cats to wrangle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this was actually like a PM project and again i say naive like i'm i'm serious when i say that i, I was like oh this will be easy <laughs> no it was not pming things is hard and and you know i'm the first to say that administrative things are not my my strong suit as you know because when we joined this uh nathan had added a bunch of things to the document and i hadn't even looked at it in fact i don't even have access to it now. <laughs> and so you know, like really kind of following up with people and keeping track of things. Um, that was very interesting and much different than, you know, when you're writing a book for yourself. And That's hard in different ways, but they're both, they were both pretty difficult.
2: Yeah. And to that end, like shout out to our editors that really helped with this from O'Reilly, Sarah and Jennifer, who really helped stay on top of those authors for us because it was, yeah, there was a lot going on there was a lot going on, for sure. And I think, you know, in terms of also just some of the things that we didn't get to say, we only had space for 97. We definitely had additional articles that we weren't able to include in the book. But what a year it was pulling this together. It was super fun and um, insightful. But yeah, there was a couple of things going on.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I got a few notes when it was announced. They were like, you did this this year? I'm like, I mean, <laughs> I kicked it off. Nathan finished it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we did. Um, yeah.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, let's change gears just a little bit. Um, one of the things that all us DevRel folks do, and like we talked about um, Slack's outage and some other things there a couple of weeks ago, like when Nathan and I worked together at, at Chef, we had a, this concept of hug ops. So I kind of wanted to talk about that. Like, happy new year. And we survived and hugs to everyone. And, and, and that sort of thing. And like, just kind of like, what's your, what's your feeling on, on hug ops these days? We don't get to see anybody. So like you have not given a real person, a hug in a year, really.
1: (sighs) My child, my, my poor child is like, will you get off of me. (laughs) I'm in love. Uh no, it's hard. And I am a hugger. I'm like, you know, I'm an extrovert. So my father, who's like the most introverted human I know, is like, you must be having a really hard time. <laughs> <laughs> I am dad. Yes, that's accurate. Uh, No, no. I mean, this is—it's a different kind of challenge, and it's—I mean, I don't know about you all. I find it difficult to connect with people virtually in the same way. Like, it's nice to see your all—all your faces. I'm so grateful that this is happening in 2020 and not, you know, 1980 or whatever else. But it's just—it's not the same.
2: Yeah, and I think you know, I think I obviously, uh, maybe not obviously, I definitely miss hugs. I definitely miss seeing people and and being able to connect on that very personal level. And you know, I think when you talk about hug ops, like it's all, I think it's also really important just to go back to sort of the roots of hug ops, right? Hug ops was born from this place where as the folks that are responsible for keeping the internet running for keeping our applications and our services running all too often, we get the spotlight shown on us when things are bad. Uh, and so there's not this appreciation. And so like uh, in my mind uh, and uh, like Hug Ops was born out of this recognition that, look, we're here for you uh, and we're here to support you. Uh, and we recognize the work that you do is important. Uh, and from that, really, this Hug Ops movement was born, but it was really about recognizing the people and the work that was put in and how that work some, you know, in the best case, that work is invisible, Yes. Um, which means that when it is visible, it's probably a bad day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like no one, no one thinks about the other, the, ni- the five nines of uptime when things are going well and, and everything is great and all the you know, shopping carts are going through or the streams are running or whatever's going on. It's those couple of minutes where, where things weren't available and the 404, or the 500 shows up and everybody is, is up in arms. And,
1: and just for perspective, for people who don't know, 99.999 is five minutes of uptime per year. Poor year. Like, that's not a lot, y'all. You can wait your doom scrolling for just a minute. <laughs> I just, I don't think people understand that perspective. Like, it's, it is very small window of error. Yeah, it's
0: absolutely, it's really, really aggressive. And all the additional mitigations and all these other things that you can do to, like, give yourself some space behind like firewalls or whatever else, your your uh, virtual IPs and all these other things are just strategies to buy a little, a couple more minutes, really, off of that that five, ten, twelve minutes a year where yeah. you can like like fiddle around with things without breaking every SLA you have. <laughs>
1: No, you know when you really start digging into SLAs at companies, they're not as aggressive as that they no. talk sort about. Of like the legal document is radically right. different than the marketing, uh, you know, homepage, yes. which is always funny. And
2: you know, we we have an article about service level objectives in the book mm-hmm. around that as well, and and kind of the differences between SLOs and SLAs um, yeah. isn't necessarily mentioned in the book, but I always find it fascinating. You know, you can go and read an SLA, um, and I always say that you know. An SLA, it's a contract. The only time you care about the contract is when you're angry. Angry enough to like open up the drawer and pull out the contract to read it. Then you're disappointed because mm. you find that all of your anger is well within the bounds of the SLA. So yeah. like yeah, there's no there's no recourse for you. And that's where it, like something like a service level objective, which takes a customer-centric point of view instead of a like defensive point of view for the company. Like that is a uh, sort of a more modern way of thinking about reliability and talking about how do we actually provide the service that our customers want to keep them happy? Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing with with HugOps um, and that we see, unfortunately, we still continue to see to this day is technology companies... Whose competitors have outages, and then those technology companies kind of jump on that. Oh, you know, sort of a Schadenfreude moment. Like, oh, look at Slack, they're down. Don't celebrate that because you're next. Uh, you Something in glass you're houses. Next. Like, next. Next. Yes.
0: That is not a marketing opportunity. That no. is not a campaign to launch to your your prospects. You are next. You nobody next. is immune to any of this. One hundred percent.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's actually one of the roles I think that developer relations plays in companies that don't. It, we never talk about, which is kind of putting the reins on certain other people. Because I can totally see like from a marketing perspective, of course, you're going to try and capitalize on the situations that allow you to have a little bit more of a foothold. And we as the sort of voice of the community are like, no, 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 <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> uh, and it's important.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. Like, you don't want the, them to do that to you when it's your turn. We're all learning all of this stuff. Like none of these things existed five minutes ago. Like everything is completely different from what it was just a handful of months ago. So absolutely hey, calm down, calm down, <laughs> sit down,
2: <laughs> sit down, or, on? or go find that person who's having that rough day and offer them a hug. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's important did uh, use. Important wording there. Offer them a hug. Um, yes. You know, yes. your hugs should always be offered and accepted. Yes, uh, they should not all
0: consensual yes. hugs. Yes, absolutely,
2: 100%. absolutely.
0: So, what are you what are you looking forward to for for twenty twenty one? Like, I don't know when we'll be out seeing anybody. I don't have anything on my schedule that's in person yet. So.
1: Yeah, part of me is like, don't jinx it, you know, like, don't, don't put something on your calendar, because then, uh, you know, you'll get smacked by karma or whatever. but i i don't know i'm i'm in this sort of state i've i've entered uh this sort of stasis which is different for me because i am someone who likes to move fast and is always in the future you know like i have anxiety so it's one of the things i knew that i had anxiety like it was like depression you're always in the past anxiety you're always in the future i was like oh that one that one that's me that's right there um but you know it's I, i've kind of learned to just try and be in the moment and not really think about what is next week or a month from now and just kind of hold i think we're hopefully halfway through i don't think there's any reason to you know freak out at this point we're almost a year into this so like round of applause like we did this i mean that's not not it's not nothing right we've we've uh, accomplished something but yeah nothing on nothing on my calendar except for you know zoom happy hours endlessly
2: Yes, indeed. Uh, and I, I i mean, obviously, I'm looking forward to getting back together in person with people, but I don't know when. And I certainly don't want to rush it, right? Uh, it's, that's, that's no good for me, my family or anyone else that I might run into along the way. So I guess what I'm looking forward to in, in 2021 is that we continue to recognize the preciousness of the time that we do get to spend together mm-hmm. and like use that as a piece of hope we will eventually get to be in person again with one another, and just hold that preciousness, that precious time, dear. And I think also, you know, thinking about like conferences is a good example. You know, I expect that we will see conferences that are much more like a DevOps days, smaller, mm-hmm. more hyper local than yeah. conferences like uh, a KubeCon, where it's fifteen thousand people that flow to flew to one city in the world. Like, and and frankly, I. I Have a personal preference for those smaller, more intimate conferences where you can actually talk to people and really share ideas and get to know one another. And so I'm looking forward to the return of conferences, but specifically the return of those hyper local, this is my community conference.
1: I totally agree. And there's going to have, we're going to have to like retrain our brains because I'm still in that like watching you know, shows and I'm like, get away, ease, back up, <laughs> I'm like six feet. And so getting into a conference, like a hall full of tens of thousands of people is just like, Ugh, it makes my skin crawl right now.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I'm no agoraphobe, but I, yeah. Like you say, KubeCon or reinvent like, mm, no, not comfortable with that at all
2: yeah and i i think it's it is interesting to see a lot of experimentation in the online space and how do we bring that feeling back and i think as long as we continually remind ourselves that we cannot do the same things online that we can do in person uh, but let's continue to experiment and discover new ways where we can make a deep connection online i think that's interesting
1: do you think there'll be, um the, I've heard lots of theories, like, early I was like, we'll never go back to in-person events. I was like, ah, I don't know. Humans need connection. That doesn't make sense. And then it was, well, now we're going to do hybrid, which honestly feels ideal, but like, that's a weight. Like I've seen what hybrid education looks like. It's not pretty people. Um, So, you know, what you don't want to do is make it a shitty experience for both groups instead of a a good experience for, you know, the the group that's there. So I'm not sure. What do you guys think?
2: My perspective is our events have always been hybrid. In most events, there's been a live stream. uh, And if not a live stream, there've been recordings of talks. And I think that we have always and intentionally optimized for one or the other of those audiences. And typically in an in-person conference, you optimize for the people that are in the room, not for the live stream, right? And so I I do think that yes, there will be things that are hybrid, they'll continue to be hybrid, but we will call them in-person conferences with a stream or with a recording available. Quite frankly, I think that that is the right way to go. I hate, you know, if I just think about, you know, my experience as a remote worker, I want every meeting that I go to to be binary. This is either a distributed meeting or this is an in-person meeting. And when you try to do that hybrid, it just falls apart.
0: Yep. Yeah. I kind of feel like we're in a place where we need a solution to run essentially two events in parallel. Because what I really Mm -hmm. like about the online events is that it really democratizes who gets to go to an event. Yes. the big events are very expensive. There's a lot of production value. There's a lot of benefit, obviously, in being there in person. But like that takes a huge chunk of the potential audience. And, and basically, they're no longer able to attend. So with the, the the online and the digital experiences, I really like that we see get a lot of different people, you see a lot of different, like, functional jobs and, and things like that, that that are able to come. But Yeah, like once we get back to having something in person, I don't want to I don't lose those folks, right? I want them to have a great experience, too. Uh, And it feels like it almost has to be a two sided kind of experience.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm very curious.
2: Yeah. And I think, it you know, it it does. I love the way that it just makes the content available to everyone. And you can consume it synchronously or asynchronously. I think if you have a preference, you should absolutely also try out the other way, whether that's async is the other way or in person is the other way. So hopefully the people that have discovered conferences over the last year, discovered them because they were Easily accessible because everything was online. I do hope that we will find, as an industry, we'll find ways to allow those people to experience an in-person conference as well as we get back to whatever comes next. Get back to move ahead to whatever comes next.
0: Yes, yes. you're gonna fail forward into.
1: Oh, I like that. I haven't thought about that. Good point.
2: Yeah, rollbacks are a lie.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> you can never go back. The river has passed you by. You cannot walk into the same river twice. All right. Well, we're just about the end of our time. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to leave folks with? Is there any tidbits of knowledge or or anything you'd like to leave folks with before we go?
1: I'd say hang in there. You know, if other folks' experiences are anything like mine, it's... There's good days, there's weird days, there's bad days, there's a lot of comfy socks and robes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just just find what kind of gets you through and don't judge yourself. I think there was this expectation early on, and this is going to sound hypocritical because I, we're talking about a book, but <laughs> there's this expectation that, well, you're home, you should come out of this, you know, looking like, I don't know, like you're super fit or you've just, you know, written the next great American novel. And it's okay if you don't, like, it's just, it's okay, just to rest and be where you are.
2: Yeah. And I think, uh, like, just to amplify that a little bit more, I think we are all distributed, we are all working in a space, but none of us are alone. And you might feel lonely, but please do reach out. There are people out there that are your friends that want to connect with you, or not maybe, you know, maybe what you need is that moment alone. That's fine, too. But I think that just recognize that both yourself, you might need to reach out to someone else, and also think about the the folks that are your friends and part of your community that you maybe would want to reach out to just to check in on them, make sure that they're doing well. I think that you know this is a very difficult time. Just maintaining those connections is super super important.
0: Excellent, that's a fantastic message to, to leave us on. So thank you, Nathan, Emily, for joining us. Uh, we'll put a link to Emily and Nathan's book in the show notes so you can find your own copy of 97 things every cloud engineer should know. And for that, uh, I'm Mandy Walls and I'm wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at Page It to the Limit using the number two. That's Page It to the Limit. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.